Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to talk about weird scientific finds. <laughs> Isn't that broad? It's very broad. Isn't that a, what did you guys feel like researching? Here's what we found kind of episode. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, the general theme of this podcast is, what did we feel like researching this week? What rabbit hole did you get sucked into? While you were researching, <laughs> what did we put down on our calendar as what we were going to research? And then what did we actually do? I feel like the overlap there is not high. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Why make a schedule? Honestly, we've tried. Yeah, we're like, next week, we're going to do this. And then the person who starts research basically gets to decide whether we're doing that and what we're doing instead, if not. <laughs> Did a weird article come up on your timeline today? Because that's what we're doing. <laughs> because once something comes up and I'm like, oh, what is this? And then I Google for 10 minutes and I'm like, well, I've already, you know, wasted some brain power on this. And it's super interesting. And I want to read more. Why not read it for you guys? <laughs> Why not tell you what we've learned? <laughs> we are scientists. I mean, honestly, this is just creepy show and tell. Is it not show and tell this information I found? Yeah, yeah. And then you get to show and tell to your friends. Yeah, I mean, that is 10 out of 10. Also, I generally want people to send us things, but I want people to send us when they found something that they didn't know was like a thing. Uh-huh. And then they're like, oh, I'm a grown ass adult and didn't know this piece of history or like this fact. We'll get to like a very particular instance of this. Where I literally, like, every adult that I knew was awake, I was like, did you know this? Am I the only person who didn't know this? <laughs> and I'm still like, I still feel like I should have known this. Yep. And then when you text me, Mike and I had a conversation <laughs> in the car on the way home from the movies about it. Ben goes, what are you talking about? And I just repeated the statement to him. And I'm, he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, what I'm saying. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what I'm saying. <laughs> like. That's the news I have. And he's like, that doesn't make sense. And I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense. You know, honestly, after this research, nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah. I mean, we're going to start off jovial and we're going to get fucking weirder and weirder and weirder <laughs> until you're afraid to go outside. That's how I am. I'm already like a little bit of a hermit. But that now I'm like, yeah, I feel the ground is not safe. The other creatures outside are not safe. Mm -mm, nothing's safe. And I mean, I just sent you our weather forecast for the week. I'm not safe. Just in general. No, you're not safe. A, a, a nice uh, 111 is tops out your 10 day forecast. And yeah, might I just say Maryland, where I'm at, high 84 for the next 10 days. Gorgeous. Beautiful. I feel like I need to like have a visual tally sheet up where everyone can follow along how many times Baltimore beats Phoenix. Yeah, I feel like if people were taking shots to me trying to convince you... They'd be dead. They'd be dead. Like, they'd be, like, dead and pickled. Like, it'd be bad. But also, this weekend is Hunfest in Baltimore, and if you're around, you should come find me there. Existing. Like how creepy that was. Existing, like a hun, gorgeously. Beehive, <laughs> puffed out skirt. My petticoat came in today. Oh, cute. 
You should be there. I will not be anywhere outside ever again. Until you move to Maryland. Until I move to Maryland or until our trip coming up, Lindsay. Oh, we're very excited about our trip. Speaking of our trip, do not expect an episode the first week of July. We love you. We're going to be on vacation. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's talk about weird shit. Let's talk about the clickbait holes that Amanda started down and then we continued on. <laughs> okay, okay. This is what got me. This is what got me. On May 22nd, <laughs> NASA's Goddard tweeted, quote, You've heard of Sharknado. Now get ready for Sharkano. <laughs> and that's it. That's what got me. You were like, I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready and I'm, I want to know. Yeah. Then I sat there and I read every article I could find about it. And then I found old science articles about it. And that that's what I did last weekend. Yeah. I mean, you got the deets and the hot goss on Sharkano. I got the deets and the hot goss. That needs to be one of our shirts, by the way. The deets and hot goss. I like it. True Creeps gave me the deets and the hot goss. <laughs> like a stamp, like a stamp version of it. Yeah. Or like a like a diagnosis, like like it's an illness. I got I got deets and hot goss. I listened to True Creeps and all I got was deets and hot goss. Well, this is the hot goss, Lindsay. <laughs> so what was shared with that tweet was some new images of discolored water being emitted from the volcano. It's begun to erupt. So let's talk about this Sharkano. There's an active submarine volcano in the Solomon Islands called Kavachi, and it's one of the most active submarine volcanoes in the Pacific. It's so active that people on the nearby islands often see it erupt. So they see like the steam and the ash. Sometimes it's pretty explosive from what I understand. So happens a lot. Do you think that you would get used to seeing a volcano erupt or like, no. is it always terrifying? Because I feel like I would always be terrified. It's always terrifying. And I mean, in all of it, but also terrified. Absolutely. And then knowing that it's a sharkano, I just feel like adds another level of terror. Let me just like walk you through the image of sharkano in my head, <laughs> right? What it is, it's not a volcano that looks like a shark. I know you thought I was going to go there with lava coming out of the mouth. I mean, now I'm thinking about that, but that's not where I was. It's a volcano. It's bright orange. There's no reason why. The land on it, bright orange. Right, right. And the ground begins to tremble. You stop. You turn. You look. And what do you see? Swarms of sharks coming out of a volcano. Why are they flying? I don't know, but they are. And they're coming right for you. Like, that is the image in my head. You're welcome, sci-fi. I just basically wrote an entire movie for you. Done and done. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, royalties. But that is the image I have of Sharkano. That's the image that I had, too. Looking at that tweet, I was like, well, now when it's exploding, the sharks are just fucking everywhere. Were they flying to you? They were. They were, like, coming out of the water. Because a submarine volcano, obviously, underwater, right? So when it spews, it's coming up again. So you're seeing like water and all volcanic stuff and then sharks just landing on the islands nearby. Okay. I had no logical connections on what was going on. This wasn't an under in my brain. No, we're talking above board, right? Like we're land. (laughs) It's like I'm making volcano shapes with my hands. That's not helpful. This is a podcast, Lindsay. I like it. But an above land volcano just spewing sharks into the atmosphere and all around. That's where I'm at. But that's not the science of this. I'll let you continue on. 
Let's go into the science. Tell me your science. Put on your science uniform, Lindsay. Your shark science uniform or your volcano science uniform or both. You know, we're going to talk a lot about different sciences today. So all of them. Get all of the coats. Science. (laughs) Science coats. (laughs) So in a 2008 study, they found that Kavachi was constantly spewing volcanic particles and fragments into the water. The environment was acidic and what they called superheated. And superheated means temperatures were reaching 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Like Arizona. Like Arizona. You know what? If we could survive here, then I guess it's not like that weird that things are surviving there. But anyways, in 2015, Dr. Brendan Phillips, a National Geographic grantee, made a discovery inside this volcano. He used a camera first to sit above the water and he was waiting for it to erupt. And he was able to get it, got the visual, and he decided, you know what, I want more images and I want to know what's going on inside the volcano. He wants to be up in it, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. So they used a robot camera. Makes sense. (laughs) No, I just, I just thought in my head he wanted the deets and the hot goss on that volcano. (laughs) That's exactly what he said in his scientific journal. No, no, he wanted, oh no, he wanted the, what is it called? What was it? Uh, He wanted the deets and superheated goss. On that volcano. <laughs> oh, man. Technical terms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Science. <laughs> so they took a robot camera and they dropped it in to see what type of activity they could see inside the volcano. And what they found was hordes of sharks. And not just one type of shark. They saw many types of sharks, including reef sharks, hammerheads, which the video they got of these hammerheads looked really cool, and scalloped hammerheads were all seen inside this volcano. They believe that maybe the warm water could be attracting them because it attracts some of their food. And sharks like to move, which I didn't know, from warmer to colder water. So sometimes they like go between them. And it would also help them gain energy to eat, digest, and reproduce being there. Hmm. I learned a lot about sharks. I feel like those are all like things that we kind of expect to learn about when we learn about a creature is like, oh, like, where do they hang out? Why do they hang out there? Right? Right, right. But there's so much more that we've learned, too. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I was like, this next part, when I was reading it, I was like, what? Yep. What? So sharks have a cluster of pores on their little snouts, and they're called ampullae of Lorenzini. And they're believed to help them detect changes in the Earth's magnetic field. Wild. Wild. That's a lot. That's a lot of things that they can do. I thought they were just like blood in the water, chomp, chomp, swim along. Do you know what I mean? Like that is what I thought they were. So one of the reasons why they're thinking that these sharks chilling near this volcano without much concern is that they can possibly sense that there's about to be an eruption because they can detect changes in the Earth's magnetic field. So one of the things that we learned was that sharks love volcanoes. Love that. Love that for them. (laughs) Like, it's like, I feel like it's like a little kid's dream. Do you know what I mean? Like sharks, volcanoes. We're loving every bit of this. So the Piton de la Fournaise is another volcano and it's called a shield volcano. And it's located on the eastern side of Reunion Island in the Indian Ocean. And this particular volcano attracts so many sharks that in 2013, swimming there was made illegal. And since 2011, 11 people have died from swimming there because of the sharks, which is actually pretty high. Like we think that like more people dying from sharks, but it's actually a pretty low number. So 13 other people have lost limbs, but they've survived while swimming on that side of Reunion Island. 
And most of the attacks were from bull sharks. And like, Amanda, you're near a place. People are getting chomped. Are you going swimming? I'm certainly not going swimming. Absolutely not. I'm already looking for sharks. Like when I'm on a beach, I'm there. I'm looking. I'm aware. So if I knew that sharks were very like common to an area, I absolutely wouldn't be just like enjoying my beach day there. Like I would be on the sand. And I watched some videos of bull sharks too. And no, thank you. Yeah, no. I mean, I feel like all sharks are pretty fucking, they're cool looking, but they're terrifying. Yeah. So because of the sediment that washes down from the volcano's slope, that area becomes an ideal hunting ground for the bull sharks. And that water there is called turbid waters. Additionally, one of the reasons why there's so many sharks in these places is that they thrive in the safety that the volcano creates, right? Because there's not going to be a lot going on near it because humans are afraid to go there. And the biggest threat to sharks is overfishing. So if you're not going to be generally fishing near a volcano, right? So an active volcano, yeah. I would personally not fish near active or inactive because <laughs> I don't know. The Earth's a wily gal. So Dr. Michael Heithouse is a marine ecologist and a dean at Florida International University. He has studied sharks for 25 years. He took a camera into the waters around Reunion Island. And from the camera, what you can see is the visibility is absolutely terrible. You can only see about three to four feet away. And he was showing how the sharks thrive in the turbid waters to hunt. So they don't need the visibility. They're hunting in great ways because they can almost surprise their prey mm -hmm. that aren't able to see that they're coming for them. That's fair. I would not want to be a sea creature in that space. I also wouldn't be going in murky waters with cameras. Like, it's a no from me. Well, they were dropping the camera. They were in the boat because obviously you're not supposed to swim in that area. Yeah, I just, the idea, even that. Too much. I don't think I would want to like, because like if you're on a boat, you can capsize. And I don't think I'd want to capsize in a boat in a place that's known for being real sharky. Yeah. This is almost turning into sea monsters part two. Yeah. It's a little bit. It's a little bit because we're going to talk about something else that kind of has a little bit of overlap there too. Yeah. But not Basilosauruses. Basilosaurus is perfect. Basilosaurus is the lemon of the sea, and you can't convince me otherwise. You can't be a creature that is meant to go into the deep ocean and then not be able to withstand pressure because you've got brittle, brittle bones. You can't have brittle bones and be a sea creature. I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. It's just what they are. I thought they were hollow. Don't they float or something? I forget. Yeah, that's why they're brittle, because they're hollow. Okay. So... Dr. Heithouse also went to Vimini in the Bahamas to test what the ampullae of Lorenzini consents. And if you can hear me laughing in that statement, it's because that took me no less than six tries to say. <laughs> so what Dr. Heithouse did was he placed strong magnets and fake ones on the ocean floor. And the magnets attracted hammerhead and nurse sharks. They were agitated and they flocked around the magnets. Yeah, and he used real magnets and fake ones so that... It wouldn't be like, oh, they saw this bright red thing. They were attracted to that. So he wanted to really, truly see if they could sense the magnets, not necessarily an item being put on the ground. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Like, I would be concerned that they would just be like, what is this thing? Yeah. I like to think that all creatures are relatively curious if they can be, you know? Yeah. So the sharks appeared agitated and they flocked around the magnets. And this proved that they can detect magnetic fields and that they didn't just flock around the color, right? Mm -hmm. And what they believe is that the weak magnetic fields that are locked in volcanic rock are something that the sharks could detect and may be able to use in navigation. So they're probably using the Earth's magnetic field to move about. 
So when they get closer to the volcanic islands, they may be able to use the magnetic sense to detect anomalies and the lava that form when it cooled. And then also, the turbid waters end up being a good place for them to stop for food. So they're attracted to both of those areas. So there's a documentary about it that's called, obviously, Sharkano. Yeah, I watched it on YouTube TV, but it looked like it was also available on Disney+. And it's kind of cool because you get to see the whole magnetic experiment Yeah. Where he dropped all the magnets down and you got to see that the sharks were like flocking to it. So I found it interesting. I was expecting more, you know, sharks being thrown into the air from a volcano, obviously. Yeah. But we'll take shark science. Yeah. Shark science is pretty cool, too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like anytime I can visually watch an experiment, I enjoy that. Yeah. Fair. So let's travel away from Sharkano to a different type of horror. Into sinkholes. As one does. As one does. So, Lindsay, have you ever heard any of the rumors that there might be underground civilizations? I feel like anything I've heard would be like people in in the industrialized world living in underground, not older ones. Like ancient civilizations? Yeah. Not like there's a group of people who are gathered underground, not there is like a culture and a society that lives underground. Gotcha. Well... With this next discovery, any of that may not be out of the question. I don't like that. (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) I don't either, she says. No. So recently in South China, a team of scientists discovered a giant new sinkhole with a forest at the bottom. Words escape me. When I think sinkhole, I just think rocks underneath. I don't think things underneath. And as we discuss sinkholes, we'll find out that is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And some of these photos, I don't know if you've seen the videos and photos of it. It is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like anytime there's a sneaky forest, it's going to end up being pretty. It's pretty but terrifying. So it was found in the Guanzi Zhuang Autonomous Region. And it was found in the county of Lei. The sinkhole is 630 feet deep or 192 meters. The interior is 1,004 feet long, or 306 meters, and 492 feet wide, or 150 meters. In Mandarin, the word for such a big sinkhole is Tiam Kong, or Heavenly Pit. Teams repelled into the sinkhole on May 6th of 2022. They discovered three cave entrances to the chasm. They also found ancient trees, and some were 131 feet tall, or 40 meters. Woof giant. The undergrowth on the sinkhole floor was as high as a person's shoulders. That's wild. Right? So much can be hiding there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And in Lake County, now they have 30 sinkholes, if you include this one. So the land is just like Swiss cheese. Yeah, in a way. So China is home to karst topography, and karst topography is a landscape that is prone to sinkholes and caves. George Vini, the executive director of the National Cave and Karst Research Institute, which I love that that exists, by the way, yeah, described it as karst landscapes are formed primarily by the dissolution of bedrock. Rainwater, which is slightly acidic, picks up carbon dioxide as it runs through the soil, becoming more acidic. It then trickles, rushes, and flows through the cracks in the bedrock, slowly widening them into tunnels and voids. Over time, if a cave chamber gets large enough, the ceiling can gradually collapse, opening up huge sinkholes. And I think like we forget how corrosive water can be sometimes. Yeah. Like I don't forget, but it's like it's not on the forefront of my mind. But near where you are, have you ever gotten to explore like caverns? 
Sort of. We have not so much caverns as there's a natural bridge that you can like go under. I think that when you guys come to visit, one of the things that we should do is go look at some caverns because it's absolutely stunning inside. Hershey Park is relatively close to us and there's one near there, which would probably be fun. Ben and I went to Luray Caverns a few weeks ago and that was fun, but a cardio workout. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. But I think they're really fascinating to see kind of like how rainwater can little by little basically kind of, I don't want to say rip apart, but erode apart the earth. Yeah. Like I find that wild. Yeah. You don't think about it. You don't think that rain really can do much. And also like water is kind of like the general theme of our planet. So thinking that water is then going to make it unstable is kind of trippy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 20 to 25% of the U.S. is karst or pseudo-karst, which this features caves carved by factors other than dissolution. Examples would be things like volcanoes and wind, which can equally carve out places. Yeah. And when you think about it, like for the U.S., think of things like Carlsbad Caverns or what Lindsay had just mentioned. So per Venny, karst caves and sinkholes can provide an oasis for life. How picturesque picturesque but also what about these weird civilizations that might live there that we don't know about that's making me think of the descent yes that's all i thought of the entire time is like this is what happened in the descent right like yeah they went down to these crazy caves and then you know what monsters ate them there is one woman on tiktok who her entire like not her entire platform but a lot of it is she finds like videos of people finding things they're like we found this ancient book that was tied up with chains in a wall behind our closet and she's like put it back put it back (laughs) like that's her whole stick and i was like i love it because she'll find like these obscure videos and maybe they're not obscure to other people but i just haven't seen them before she has them and this person was like like they'll find something in a cave and she'll be like put it back (laughs) yep that's what i feel like about a little bit about like cave discoveries a while back we shared a video of people going down into a cave to remember oh, we did it was like we the did. tiniest hole and they're like squeezing their body into this tiny hole to get into the cave and it made me very uncomfortable and i feel like the people that discovered like these sinkholes or the cave system that lead you to the sinkhole that's like what they were doing in my head and i hate it i think when we're talking sinkhole we're talking bigger yes but they have to find entrances to it like other entrances Oh, because they aren't just like throwing themselves into the center of this big hole. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense now that I'm thinking about it. But like they're doing that, too. But they try to find all the entrances. How how else can you get there through the cave systems? It's just so wild that like this big old planet, we're exploring space. We still have not really explored it here. Like we still don't know how this works. We still don't know everything that's here. Nope, not in these caves, because obviously the descent has to be real, right? Yeah, for sure. Sees. And then... <laughs> then whatever is happening in the sea yeah sharkanos and stuff and blue holes which are ocean sinkholes yep yep if you know you know if you don't go back to sea monsters <laughs> so chen lexen who led the cave expedition team said quote i wouldn't be surprised to know that there are species found in these caves that have never been reported or described by science until now species of what the descent, clearly. Like, the descent. That's all. Yeah. No, but what I was seeing, we're going to talk about it in a few. But there were some cute little critters. But luckily, these people didn't find the descent yet. But it's out there. So last year, researchers discovered some species of plants that were lost for over a century in a sinkhole located in the Yunnan province in China. 
And this was probably due to the isolation. The plant got to survive. We didn't get to ruin it. So some people call it a nature time capsule. And I think that's fair because like we can't ruin it if we can't get to it. Absolutely. Like we kind of ruin everything. Literally everything. Yeah. Everything we touch. Literally everything. Yeah. We can't have nice things. It gave researchers the opportunity to collect rare seeds and plant specimens in the sinkhole and the surrounding dense forest. So again, because we can't get there. Things they were able to find included Wytikia shiritiflora, which sounds insane, but it looks like a cute little pale purple flower. And it was last recorded by a British botanist in 1893. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it looked really pretty and it, it seemed like it was all over the place there. There's also Helwinga. And this looked really cool. I'd never seen anything like it. It's a plant that has the fruit grow on the leaves. It's interesting looking. Like it looks staged, but it's not. Right? When they did a like close up of the first one, when I looked at it, I thought it just had a ladybug on the leaf. <laughs> and then it was like, this is the fruit on the leaf. And I was like, what? Why? That's a ladybug. But that's a thing. And it was down in the sinkhole. I'm looking at photos of like its like growth process and it's interesting seeing little leaves that come before the fruit on the big leaf. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird looking, but I love it. Yeah. So it also had a diverse animal population. And one of the videos I saw showed a couple different types of insects and what I thought were frogs. I guess it could have been toads, but I think they're frogs. And they were cute and little and looked nice. No descent anywhere that I could see. So this particular sinkhole was super difficult to access. The walls are 328 feet high or 100 meters. And they needed to use safety ropes to even get near it. That blows my mind. It looked terrifying watching these people like get into it safely and then having to get out. And one of them got super sick too while he was there. And they're like, we're going to need to figure out how to get him out. And just no, no, thank you. I am not that type of person. Can't do it. I'd need that plan in place before I went. Luckily, he uh, was able to get out. <laughs> but they're like, good on him. If one of us gets hurt or like really sick... It tends to be very difficult to get someone out of one of these with a stretcher. And I was like, oh, God. It tends to be very difficult. It's such a cute way of saying, like, hmm, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as they have, like, these ropes. No. Yeah. But finding these plants and even some of these animals in the sinkholes, not necessarily this one, but in general, they may play an important role of preserving endangered species. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like that plant that they hadn't seen in forever is down there. So like, what else can we find? And what else is there? <laughs> what else can we find? What else can find us? Exactly. So we're going to move to North America now. And Venny, who we discussed earlier, when discussing a sinkhole in Texas, he said, in one West Texas cave, tropical ferns grow abundantly. The spores of these ferns were apparently carried to the sheltered spot by bats that migrate to South and Central America. Fascinating. So let's talk about some other sinkhole discoveries throughout North America. Oh, 1954, Ford Crestliner was found in the sinkhole in Black Hills, South Dakota. So a whole last car was found there. That's a big car. It's a big car. And when you think like vintage car, it's what your head goes to. It's like that's that's what it is. Yeah. So Adam Weaver volunteered to explore the caves in that area because before they found the Crestliner, houses started falling into this massive sinkhole. And so once they began spelunking, which is what they call cave exploring, 
10 out of 10. So once they began spelunking, Weaver and his team realized that the area wasn't a cave system. It was abandoned gypsum mines that had closed in the 1950s. And they also found a truck further down. And they don't know how either of them got there. But no people. Like, just just the cars. No people. No people. Just, like, big vehicles. Interesting. Interesting. Also, there's a couple incidents of mastodon bones being found in America. So in 2015, mastodon bones were found in Florida. And also, when you think mastodon, think hairy ancient elephant, correct? Like, that's how I would describe it. Yeah. Kind of like a mammoth, but more elephant-like is how I would characterize it. So that in our country seems bananas as it is, because that's a massive animal that we typically don't, right? We don't have animals that are that size for the most part. So in 2015, mastodon bones were found in a Florida sinkhole. The bones, when they analyzed them, they found that they were 14,550 years old. Some old bones. That's some old bones. And so that was interesting in and of itself. But what was particularly special about this is that they could tell from the damage on the bones and the markings that this particular mastodon had been butchered by humans. Oh, I know. A little gruesome. But this was particularly interesting because they didn't know that there were humans in North America more than 13,000 years ago. From what I understand, it was thought that humans had migrated from, I I believe it was Asia, to the North America like around 13,000 years ago. So this is well over a thousand years earlier than they thought. Yeah. Interesting, right? And then in 2016, in another sinkhole in the Gray Fossil Site in Tennessee, more mastodon bones were found. And this particular instance was unique because this particular mastodon they didn't know had ever lived in North America. Interesting. Yeah. So they didn't even realize that that creature existed here. So moving down to Mexico and the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico's underwater sinkhole, which is called Chanhole, the Chanhole Cave, they found what like really fucked my head was explorers found skeletal remains and they dated back 13,000 years ago. So one of the sets of remains, they found a few different pieces of skeletons that came from like thousands of years had passed between some of them. So it doesn't seem like they were all together. And for the bones that were 13,000, they don't quite know how her bones ended up down there. Some people think that she was put on a rock slab as a resting place. But what was wild about this is that in this sinkhole, the skulls that they found were a different shape than other humans who were living in that area at the time. And I, again, like I'm vastly apparently undereducated in history, (laughs) but they thought that Paleo-Indians were living in North America at that time. And from what I understand and from what I read, it looks like before this discovery, we didn't know that there were multiple species of humans living concurrently. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. I don't know why unsettling, but all I think of is aliens. (laughs) You think of aliens, I think descent, again, because we're talking different species of humans. And so I I messaged Amanda last night and I was just like, let me scroll back up to it. I just said, did you know there were different species of humans just generally, which I didn't know and didn't make me feel very good that I didn't know that. But like, (laughs) apparently there were. But interesting that we didn't know that they were living concurrently or in the same regions. Mm hmm. So these skulls had a wider variation in the facial and brain case structure. And this is different 
from the remains that they found of Paleo Indians. So the set of remains that was 13,000 years old is named as Chanhole 2, and it's one of the oldest sets of human remains found in North America. And it's from a sinkhole. Isn't that wild? What else are they hiding? What else are these sinkholes hiding? And another sinkhole in the Yucatan Peninsula, a Mayan canoe was found, which is also thousands of years old. That's wild. Isn't that wild? Like, that they're finding just so much out about the just the landscape that we were on and what it looked like and who was here by what's in these sinkholes. Like, if they really are time capsules. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I'm looking at the pictures of the canoe, too. Yeah. And it's in a way that I wouldn't have imagined, right? Like, no, not at all. I, I certainly imagine nature to be under there, right? Like the mastodon bones. Okay, for sure. These makes sense to me. But to find human remains in these, I think is particularly strange and relics of humans. Mm -hmm. I feel like so often in Indiana Jones-esque movies, when we see the landscape that they show is kind of like a sinkhole, like these beautiful picturesque, there's green and there's like ruins in there. And like, it looks like it's kind of in a sinkhole, I feel like. Yeah. And that's kind of what this feels like to me. It does. It does. I think this part is less creepy and more like awe-inspiring to me. So our next part that we're going to talk about, I feel like is a hard turn. The hard turn. But I think the first time I read about it was actually a while ago, but then found some new articles. But zombies are an actual thing. Don't like it. Don't like it. Don't like it at all. But there's a few different examples where we see zombies in nature. No, 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 no. Yep, 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 yep. Uncomfortable. So the first one I want to talk about is zombie ants. You got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere. Little baby zombies. And it's going to get like a horror movie, but like bug horror movies, right? Yeah, it's pretty fucking gruesome. I think of like a bug's life when that becomes, you know how they're making Winnie the Pooh into a horror movie right now? Yes. I feel like this is when they make bug's life into a horror movie. This is what's going to happen. I don't think the bug's life could do, like no because winnie the pooh i think he's he's the killer yeah it would have to be the ants if it was bug's life doesn't it yeah but what i'm going to tell you the ant will become the killer in a way after it gets taken over by zombies does it or does it just kill itself hear me out hear me out no it's going to take the others with them you're going to see a bug's life the horror version in just a moment in your head. It's going to play. You know what I think it is? I think it's A Bug's Life Meets 28 Days Later. It's a zombie movie. You know what I mean? It's just a zombie movie with ants. Yeah, that'll work. 28 Days Later with ants. But let me tell you about these particular zombie ants. So there is a zombie ant fungus that exists. And let's start with the scientific part. Cordyceps is a genus of fungi. And the ant zombifying one is called Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. That's a mouthful. It was hard. So it's absolutely terrifying. And what they do is the fungus infects an ant and it goes through the body while draining it of its nutrients and essentially taking over its mind. Over the course of a week, it basically makes the ant leave its home and go to a place where it itself could thrive. The ant leaves the safety of its colony and it starts to make its way to its host's perfect home. And it ends up on a leaf at the height of about 25 centimeters. And it's the zone where the temperature and the humidity is just right for this fungus to continue to grow. The fungus then makes the ant lock its mandibles around one of like the strongest veins of the leaf or the stem to hold on. And what it does is it creates this long stalk 
through the ant's head that grows and it's full of spores. And the growth can take about three weeks. And the leaf it finds usually is fairly close to the colony or it's over one of the foraging trails that the ants use. So then when the spores come down, it goes down onto their trail and then it creates more zombie ants. And this can take out a whole colony. I find that incredibly wild. We've talked about similar things to this. Like I think slime molds sound similar to this to me. But there is another podcast. It's a fiction podcast called Steal the Stars, where there's a similar element to this. I'm not going to give it all away because I think that it's like definitely worth listening to. But it reminds me of this in a very haunting way in a human application. Yeah, yeah. And there is a video that BBC made that shows the ants weird behavior and that sometimes the other ants notice that the one ant is being weird and they take them away from the colony so that they can die far away and not near them to infect them. That's how smart ants can be. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. It's really sad though. He's like carrying his little ant friend to like throw him far away. (laughs) Oh. I never felt so like sad about ants until I watched these videos. I'm not going to feel bad about ants ever. But I do find the research that's done on them interesting because they're already itsy bitsy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not itsy bitsy. Itsy bitsy are spiders for my niece. That's what she calls them. Actually, she calls them itsy downs. Itsy down. Anyway, David Hughes, an entomologist at Pennsylvania State University, has been studying this zombie fungi for years. And one of his students, Meridel Fredrickson, completed an experiment to see how this process worked internally. And so what they did was they took infected ants and they cut them into slices that were 50 nanometers thick. And I'm sure you're wondering, what does that mean? That's one thousandth the width of a single strand of human hair. How do you slice something that little? I don't know. Woof. She scanned each slice, created and compiled a three-dimensional model, and annotated which bits were ant and which were the creepy fungus. That's a lot of work. Wow. Right? And so it took three months to mark up just one muscle, which like logically I understand that there's muscles in ants, but it's so interesting to think of like how teeny those muscles are. Yeah. So to make it go a little bit faster, Hughes asked a computer scientist, Danny Chen, for some help. And so what they found was that when the fungus first enters the ant, it exists of single cells. They float around the bloodstream and then they make copies of themselves. Then their images show that the single cells started working together. They connected to each other by building short tubes. By being connected in this way, it allowed them to communicate and to exchange nutrients. And again, this really reminds me of slime molds. Mm-hmm. And that they connect them that way. It's unsettling. Yeah. I, I don't like bad guys working in teams. <laughs> Right. And copying themselves to make their own team. Yeah. So once they make these little like tubes, they then start invading the ant's muscles. And they can do it in one of two ways. They either penetrate the muscle cells themselves or they grow into the spaces between them. And there's this really cool computer rendered video that I found that shows how each one of these works. So it was kind of interesting to see like a computer show you how it like infiltrates these muscles. Infiltrates. It does. So when talking about this zombie ant fungus, most talk like it's one thing that comes out and like takes over the ant. But it makes more sense to think of the fungus as a colony similar to the ant. So like a bunch of ants make up a colony. This colony infiltrates the ant. Wild. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's weird. So they work together to take over a much bigger task. 
that being the ant. Surprisingly, Hughes and his team found that the fungus never actually touches the brain of the ant. So it takes over the body, including the head, but it doesn't touch the brain. It leaves it alone. Like, I feel like I just automatically assume that it wouldn't do it that way. Right. You would think like, oh, it just takes over the brain and makes them do what they want. Yeah. Nope. So what it does is it secretes a wide range of chemicals that could be influencing the brain from afar. So it's not like taking over the brain, but it makes chemicals that sort of takes over the brain. Yeah. So Hughes thinks that the fungus might also exert more direct control over the ant's muscles. So basically, he says that it's like they're being controlled as a puppeteer controls a marionette doll. We don't like it. We don't like it. It's so sad. This poor ant. Yeah. When the fungus does finally take over the ant's body, the neurons that give its brain control over the muscles start to die. So it basically starts cutting off control of the limbs from the brain, and that's how they begin to be worked like a puppet. The Atlantic said, if this is right, then the ant ends its life as a prisoner in its own body. Its brain is still in the driver's seat, but the fungus has the wheel. Again, I feel so bad for ants. How terrible. What purpose in nature does this serve? So... There have been several studies around this fungus, not surprisingly, because it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And Clarissa DeBecker, a molecular biologist at Pennsylvania State University and her colleagues, wanted to see if the fungus secretes a specific chemical for specific types of ants, which I think is pretty fascinating. It is. It is. So they took four species of ants and these names were ridiculous long. So we're just going to say four different types of ants. They dissected their brains and kept the brains alive by putting them in an insect cell culture medium, which sounds absolutely horrifying. Yeah. They added the fungus to the medium and they let it react to the environment. Then they extracted the medium And it had all the molecules the fungus produced, and the medium for each ant contained thousands of unique chemicals. So what they found after weeding out certain chemicals is that the fungus produced a different chemical cocktail for each ant species. Huh. Yeah, so it was like, I know how to work this one's body differently than I'd work this one's body. That's very sophisticated. It is. And the first thing I was like, so can it like figure out how to work other types of creatures' bodies? And DeBecker said, quote, it knows the brains of each target host and reacts accordingly. I don't like this at all. So what they also found, though, is it cannot take over all types of ants, probably due to not knowing the... I said, right, cocktail of chemicals for that particular ant brain. So it was able to take over some, but not all. Huh. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I like it and I hate it at the same time, you know? Yeah. But think of this now. Do you see my A Bug's Life horror movie? I do. I do. That's what's next. So it is what's next. But what's next next at this moment is the fact that there are different types of fungus that do similar things to other bugs, right? Like a worm that makes a fish flop around to get eaten by a bird, and then it affects the bird. Don't like that? I don't like that, right? And then we're going to talk about, honestly, the saddest story that we've got today. The saddest story, and I feel like this is another horror movie, right? Like, this could be a horror movie right here. Like, I don't like bugs, but like... This is sad. I don't want this to happen to them. Like, I just don't want them to exist near me. So I read this one and I was like, this is terrifying that this is happening in nature. Absolutely. I need to let people know. Yeah, we need to tell the people. We need to. They need to know. The the deets and the hot goss. (laughs) So there is a wasp that takes over a cockroach. And honestly, what I can only describe as the worst way possible. Yeah. Right? Like the worst way possible. So first, 
the wasp paralyzes the cockroach by stinging it between its front legs. Immediately, no. Then it drives its stinger into the roach's brain and deposits venom. So the cockroach then kind of acts like nothing happened and it tries to groom itself. And it can do that. But if it goes to walk away or move in another way, it can't. Like it doesn't even try. It doesn't even think about it. Yeah, it's like stuck. So while the roach is doing this, the wasp goes off to find a burrow. And when it comes back, the roach is still doing its thing, grooming, standing still. And the wasp bites off the antenna of the cockroach and then drinks its blood just to get a little snickety snack and some energy. So then if you're looking at like this process happening, what it looks like the wasp does is it looks like it latches onto the stubs of the cockroach's antenna and drags it back to the burrow. But what's actually happening is way worse. The wasp is actually leading the cockroach back to its burrow and the cockroach is willingly following the wasp. And it's kind of like it's in a trance or a daze. Yeah, because technically it should be able to fly or run away at this point, but it doesn't. Yes, I don't like it. Do you have like the horror movie vision of this in your head? Because you should. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So scientists, of course, have been studying this and they have taken cockroaches that have just been stung. So when they're in that like grooming stage where they're just kind of confused, waiting for the wasp to come lead it away. Yeah. And they're like, can we get them out of this daze? Right. Like, can we make the stop? Good question. Because they technically should be able to walk away, like nothing stopping them from walking away. I think it's if I understood it correctly, when they deposit the venom, it doesn't last forever. It shouldn't. But where they put it in the brain kind of like turns their brain off. Well, what the scientists did is they took the cockroach and they dropped them in water. And once they did that, they were able to snap out of it and run away. That's fascinating that like, I mean, at least there's some mechanism for this, but I feel like it's still a pretty gruesome death because most of the time these roaches aren't going to have scientists to do that for them. Okay, this is still going. This horror movie is still playing. It's still going. It's still going. So when the cockroach gets to the burrow, the wasp lays one single egg in its leg. It then becomes larva and it starts sucking the blood from the roach's body. When the blood runs out, it burrows into the body cavity of the cockroach, eats some of the organs, then spins itself a cocoon inside the body, and then emerges as an adult. Have you ever felt bad for a cockroach? My gosh. And so I think what's fucking bizarre and wild here is that we're not talking about like some obscure fungus now. We're just talking about wasps. Yeah. Like these are just wasps doing wasp things. I don't like it. It made me really uncomfortable. Yeah. So the biggest question then, after reading about all of this, normally ends up at, can a fungus or something else do this to humans? I mean, that's a good question, right? Like, can it evolve and then take over bigger brains, right? Like, yeah, maybe it starts with ants, but like, is it getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Well, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a game called The Last of Us, and it's a great game. I love it. I have not, but that's not surprising. And it actually used the fungus idea, and it was absolutely terrifying. It was a great game. So from what I read, though, luckily, cordyceps cannot infect humans. Our bodies are better at attacking the pathogens. But as we've talked about before, maybe mind control isn't really far out there, though. Maybe it's not a natural thing that's happening, but there's other things that are mind control in a way, like in a small way. Yeah, I mean, like, this kind of feels like mind control. Like, I feel like mind control and body control look very similar. Mm -hmm. 
conceptually, I understand what the difference is. But to the outside observer, those look the same. Yeah. So that, that just gives me the chills, a cringing feeling. I don't like it at all. Yeah. Well, in the past, we've talked about mind control studies, right? That were being done. Yeah. Unknowingly, in some cases. But there's also different things that people kind of talk about as if they were mind control. One being social media is one that people are like, what's controlling a lot of people's minds right now? Social media. And then you can think of it as like smaller things too, like perfectly placed or timed ads that come up. Like if you've searched for something and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, remember, you want this. Or like if your friend searches something and it shows up on your feed. Mm-hmm. Things like that. And then some people even said things like impulse buys. Yeah. Like it's a little bit of mind control there. Like the it's how how can we make people buy things? That's something that happens in our everyday world. But here's my thing is I feel like there's a big difference between understanding how human brains work and how people would make someone more likely to buy something and controlling them. Oh, yeah. They're saying in the general idea, because I feel like people feel like certain colors make people calmer than other colors. Yeah. So like, is that mind control? I think that's just knowing how our brain works and like how it's going to take information. What I find alarming is the fact that like, what's to say that this fungus couldn't begin to do what it does to our brains? Right. What's to say that like wasps couldn't get larger and do that to us? That or what other fungus is at the bottom of these sinkholes? Oh, ancient fungus. Ancient fungus. Oh, we went full <laughs> circle. We did, didn't we? We did. Ancient fungus. Or you know what there else there might be? A whole new breed of shark. Probably. They're probably in a volcano somewhere. They're probably just straight chilling in a volcano somewhere. Woof. Well, as always, like we want to know what you think about this. Like, are you horrified? I'm horrified. Right? This is our nature. This is this is happening. This is our nature. And also, like, have you recently read an article that made you go, should I know this? We want to know. And it's been a minute since we've mentioned it. But in case you have forgotten or you need a refresher on this, one of the best ways that you can support a podcast for free is by leaving a rating and a review. And if you do that and send us a screenshot of that and send us your mailing address, we would love to send you a sticker. Obviously, if you're loving the show, if you've gotten this far into the episode, I'm assuming you have. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. If you wanted to support us with money, you could do that, too. That's Patreon. We've got a whole bunch of different fun tiers. We do a lot of fun stuff. There's fun perks. Bat Bonfire. We just had our second Patreon game night. And that was a blast. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. We're probably going to do another one in July. We'll talk more about it when it gets closer. But it's a fun time. But, you know, also just feel free to just share some things to your friends. Tell a friend. Creep with us. Yeah. I feel like we're beginning hot, cool summer. And part of that is just staying creepy all summer. Yeah. I want you to take us to the beach with you. Take us on vacation with you. I want that. I want you to go to a five-star resort and listen to us talk. Also, I want to know all the creepy places you're visiting this summer. Oh, yeah. Because I want to go to there, too. So send me all the information and how cool it was so that we can go. What we're telling you is anything you want to tell us, we want to know. (laughs) Right? Our Patreon, actually today, one of our patrons was talking about a creepy place that now I'm like fascinated with and I want to learn more about. Yeah. But time loops? That's a thing? Well, they actually, they they left us hanging. (laughs) How many days ago did they mention that? And we were like, "Ah, please. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they got back to us today. They're telling us more. They're telling us more. But- 
I want to hear about more creepy places that you're visiting because I love creepy places and I love going to creepy places. So share them with us so we can go to there. Yeah. Also, once you finish Stranger Things, I mean, oh man, we want to know about it. Were you happy that we did a Satanic Panic episode? Did you feel like it was like you knew? Like you knew a little bit more? Like you're watching this and you're like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. How did we have the deets and the hot goss before it came out? We had deets and hot goss. We had premonitions. We didn't even know. We were just like, perhaps we're like satanic panic. Like, it's time. We need to cover this so that we can talk about a lot of cases that we want to talk about. Who knew that it was going to be so relevant? Love it. We didn't. But I felt very prepared watching the show. I was like, this is the satanic panic. <laughs> like, I was like sitting there like tapping my little fingers together. Like, now you see it everywhere when you're looking at stuff from like the 80s, 90s, right? Yeah. You're looking at something you're like, oh, they're going to go there. They're going to go there. And you could tell because I don't recall the previous seasons talking about the particular club they were in. It's new. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. We're not giving anything away, though. Yeah. This isn't spoilers. What we're talking about right now, you find out in the first like 20 minutes of the first episode. If you want to hear us talk about Stranger Things, stick around until after the outro. We finished the first part. So we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. Stick around if you want. If you haven't watched it and you're going to get mad at us because we've told you this, then turn it off. So, yeah, stick around if you want to talk about Stranger Things with us. But with that, have a good weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. Truly, if you don't want to hear about the ending of the first part of Stranger Things, you should probably leave now. I love this season. I thought it was beautifully done. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying they didn't like it. It was very dark. It was a lot darker than I think the previous seasons were. I think that the last season was like this like bubblegum 80s vibe. Yeah. And it was like, ah, summer. This is a horror movie. Yeah, no, this is a horror movie. Oh, I loved it. I absolutely thought it was amazing. I love shows where you like watch the characters grow up and we're very much seeing that. Eleven, like all through this, my heart is breaking for her. And when she hit her with the skate, okay, a bit much, a little savage. But I was like, what kind of asshole teases someone over a dead parent? Right? Like, fuck off. That was the one part I didn't think would be believable, though, because like we've all been to uh, Skateland, right? Like, that's a thing. <laughs> and I feel like Skateland would not let someone publicly mock a little girl. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily think that was a thing, but I also wasn't alive then. And I don't know how much adult supervision there was. Like, was the Skateland being run by a bunch of like 20 year olds who didn't really give a fuck, you know? Like there's still a little bit of empathy at all times. I hope. Like that was really mean. That was brutal. I know. I mean, no, no, no. It was terrible. It was truly terrible. Like they really set you up to like understand why she's doing like why she had that reaction, you know? Yeah. And the moment when Hopper sees Joyce in Russia, my fucking heart. I was like, oh, oh, just so good. So, so good. Mm hmm.
I'm excited for the last two. All I keep thinking is like, when we get back from vacation, we get to come home to more Stranger Things. Yes. Tell me about your favorite parts, because I'm just talking about it. Uh, So like you mentioned, like, I love how creepy they made this season. The death scenes are fantastic. Like, they're so good and so creepy. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, like, this is Netflix. Like, I'm so impressed. Yeah, they did really good. A lot of people hate, like, I, I keep reading all everything I see now. I'm reading about it. And I'm like, people are really not liking that there's so many different storylines going. But I kind of dug it. I was like, if I got bored with one, they'd switch to the next, you know? Also, the editing was just so, like, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. That, like, it flowed. Like, you needed a break from the scene when they moved to the next one. Yeah. Do you love Argyle? I fucking love Argyle. He's a trip. He's fun. Oh, yeah. Like the only thing I couldn't get behind is, yeah, like the Mike and Will kind of break off for a while. I'm like, I want a little bit more happening. Like I thought when they tried to come and find Eleven, I'm like, ooh, like this is getting good. And then it was kind of like, okay, they're showing a lot of them. They're burying the guy. It's like the comic relief. I get it. But also I was a little bored. So those scenes are notably slower, but there's something going on with Mike. There is. We, she talks about him not being in love with her, right? And not saying I love you back. He's writing letters back and it says from Mike. And let me tell you, when Eleven writes Mike the note that she's like, I'm going to go be your superhero again. And I was like, I looked at Ben. I was like, it's going to say from L. And it said from L. And I was like, you don't get what you we aren't giving, my guy. My guess for that is, is I think that he is going to think that she went off and had a better life without him. Because he sees her as, like, the fucking coolest. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he sees her as, like, you know, how you, when you love somebody, you see them as, like, ah, the coolest person, you know? And I think that he sees her in that way. Yeah. And he's, like, a dork, you know? Yeah. Because he's even, like, why didn't you tell me you were having a hard time? Like, you know that I have that experience. Like... You didn't have to hide that from me. So, like, I'm interested in their relationship growing, like, and them being adults more. Yeah. I love Max. Like, before she was like, okay, she's interesting. But I'm like, I love Max. I love what they've done with her character. Uh, I kind of like that they're doing more with Nancy and with Robin, too. Oh, yeah. I like their friendship. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, we, we want Steve and Nancy back, right? We want Steve and Nancy back. Jonathan can kick rocks. And for anyone that plays Dead by Daylight, it's sad that they got rid of it, the Stranger Things in it. But if you had previously bought it, you could still play as either of those characters. And it's really fun because oh, fun. Steve has a Scoops Ahoy outfit and you can run around. Oh, how cute. Away from Michael Myers in your little <laughs> Scoops Ahoy. Yeah, that's great. That is cute. I also, I like that the weekend it came out, Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill song is like number one. Oh, yeah. I laughed at that. I'd seen that... Um, article before we watched that episode Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh whatever song is max's favorite song is currently the number one song right now yeah yeah she's like having a moment yeah and i love that i'm obsessed with erica's character too yeah lucas's sister also stole the spotlight last season i thought that she was a treasure and a delight Mm -hmm. every time she comes onto the screen ben's like i just love her (laughs) yeah yeah she's one of my favorites i just like she's like no bullshit she stabs the cop car. She <laughs> flattens his tire. I was sad she didn't go with them. Like, I was like, okay, now she's going to be part of this. Yeah, she wasn't on a bike. So it was like, they like queued it up for her to not go. But also like, she is a kid kid. I know, but I was like, oh, she gets to join the gang now. But no, she just helps them from behind. Yeah, I hope they develop her character more. I think it's cute seeing her 
with them because also, I mean, in the scene when they are going to Watergate and you have Robin, Eddie, Nancy and Steve on the boat and they're about to go. I just thought it was very touching that like you still see them protecting the younger kids like they were like, no, you have to stay on the shore because they are still kids like I know that they're now in high school, but like 14. Oh, my gosh, you're a baby. You know, like, yeah, don't go risking your life. I mean, like they are throughout the show. So the show's about. But like, I just I liked that because I think at some points they blur the age differences. And when they go ahead and kind of force those to be shown, I think that's helpful. Yeah. Also, Eddie and Steve being jealous of each other because of each other's friendships with Dustin. I thought that was so cute. (laughs) He's like, you know, the star of this season. Well, I love Eddie, too. Like, his characters. Oh, yeah. I like him a lot. I feel like all of us as teens, like the weirdos that were, like, super nerds and, like, really actually nice. Oh, yeah. And I also like the first death when Chrissy dies and he's standing there and he's trying to help her. And, like, even, like, she's in the woods and she's scared and he's, like, so kind to her. They have this cute rapport and I'm like, oh, is she going to be, like, part of the gang? Like, the way that they cue that up to get you to, like, lean into her, I think is very well done. And I think the way that they talk about how Vecna gets into people's heads, I think, is very well done. Yeah, it is. The tentacles everywhere creep me out. I love it. Like, and I love that we got to see the upside down again. And we really got to see the upside down. I thought it was interesting that the upside down is a snapshot of when the show started, when Eleven cracked it open. Yes, I loved that. I love that little detail. Yeah, she goes to look for her guns and finds shoes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that this idea of like being able to time travel in a way is interesting. And it's interesting that they're pulling this in to this season in a way that I don't think they have before. At least I didn't notice, right? Because before the upside down has seemed like a monstrous place, right? That is just darkness. And For the first time, we're looking at like, is this perhaps a moment in time without people? You know what I mean? Like that's because that's what it is, actually. Right. The places exist in the same way, except for like the nightmare creatures. But just interesting and gorgeous. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we want to hear what your thoughts on it, too. And if it is spoiler, make sure to put spoiler alert and, you know, drop down a lot so that we can read it. But others that haven't finished it won't. Yeah. Yeah. And we look forward to July to doing this again. (laughs) Yeah, we're hyped. We're hyped. Yeah, we're definitely going to do this again. Yeah. So again, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us even more. (laughs) Oh, no, people are going to know that you live in the world. The ampullae. Dude, I can read. I just can't say it. My mouth. Up here, I get it. In here, flip flam. It's flip flams and out of my mouth. The ampullae of Lorene. (laughs) I can't say Things that they were able to find included Waitaka. Oh, God. Hold on. Sorry. I'm laughing at the sheer number of consonants in that second word. Why aren't you saying this part? You do better at this. I said, what are you talking about? The lava, 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 snake pores. The what? The snake pores. And then this, the, uh, not the snake pores. The shark pores. Shirita flora. Shirita flora. Would have never. Shirita flora. She. Shirita flora, shirita flora. Why tikia shirita flora, shirita flora. You know, you know, lateralis. You know, Oh my god. Okay, I got the afia cordyceps. You know, you know, lateralis. You know, 
Unilateralis. Uni- <laughs> Afia cordyceps unilateralis. <laughs>